Shop. Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast where I, Brian Gray, dive into my guests' relationship with their work to learn why they love to do what they do. There hasn't been a podcast in a while. I've mostly been working on the Pittsburgh Comedy Festival, which I hope you check out in August 2016. My guest today is 30-plus year improv veteran, founding member of the Annoyance Theater, performer and teacher at IO and Second City, and inspiring human, Susan Messing. I first met Susan at a workshop in Philly in 2010, and a few bits of her advice would stick with me and drastically affect the course of my work. A couple years later, I was teaching a level one class, and I wanted to use one of her exercises. And the next time she came through Philly, Susan met up with me and explained the rather in-depth exercise in person. She's a super cool person, and I am so thankful that she took the time from her packed schedule during the Detroit Improv Festival to chat with me. So without further ado, my interview with Susan Messing. You are a founding member of the Annoyance Theater. Yes. You had the rare distinction of being hired directly to the Second City main stage. Yes. And you've performed at I.O. for over 20 years. More. And created their level two curriculum. Yeah, actually, it's, I'm almost 30 years an improviser, I think. Are you really? Yeah, because I think I started in 1986. That is incredible. And I I'm look a, forward to the day. I'm certainly old. Uh, I'm 51. You're, you're uh, an experienced improviser. It's I think after I think it's tenacity. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, uh, so with all of that, could you provide some insight into your experience with the big three Chicago institutions or others? Like, what do you get working from with each? Well, of when them? I, honestly, at this point in my life, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want and creating the illusion that I am honoring the building that I am in. So, for example, at I.O., I love teaching uh, group work and all this beautiful stuff like that. I, I like grounded, intelligent comedy. But then yeah. again, I'm also performing with, hold on, motorcycle gang, <laughs> motorcycle gang. Actually, that's a moped yeah, gang. Yeah, it's a moped gang. With one motorcycle. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, I play with Blaine Swen, who's the creator of Improvised Shakespeare, and I play with him every Tuesday night at 1030 in a show called Blessing. Which I originally thought meant he came up with the name, and I thought, well, Blaine is a born again Christian, so I thought. Is he really? He is. He doesn't play like one, but he's, sure, he's, sure. He's, he's very, he's religious, and I thought, oh my God, is this going to be something religious? Ew! And then I went, <laughs> I was walking home, and I went, Blaine, messing, blessing. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. <laughs> so yeah, it takes me as long as it takes me. So that, it, even though it is under the IO banner. It's 10.30 on a Tuesday night, which is a real fuck-around slot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think we're just playing, yeah. and it's really free and delightful. Thursday night, I'm at The Annoyance, where I can do whatever I want and not worry about what is contextually okay or truth in comedy or anything like that. Um, and that I do a show called Anno uh, at The Annoyance called Messing with a Friend, and I always have a different friend every week. And then every Friday night, I'm at Second City, where, you, where the goal is really social and political satire, but I am playing with a bunch of rabid ferrets in a group <laughs> called The Boys. So I think everything goes out the door and we're just joyfully playing, you know, until our asses fall off. I mean, we, we really, I don't, I don't think it's a rule thing anymore and I don't even think, I, I know it's at nine o'clock and it's upstairs in the skybox and I don't think the powers that be really know what we're doing mm. and they trust that what we're doing is very entertaining and it is, at least for us. The rest of the people watching it probably think it's an acid trip, but which it is. But it's it's 
really fun. Like, we prove it. But we're in almost every single scene. I mean, there's almost six people in every scene. Yeah. Because we just want to play with each other so much. But we're like tumbling ferrets, <laughs> you know, that could bite. And then we will enjoy the experience. I don't know. They're, they're, they're crazy. It's uh, Norm Holly and Rachel Mason. Um, and when oh, Rachel yeah. and I are on the wall, on the road, we're the boys. But when we're in Chicago, we're, we play with real boys. So we play with Ryan Archibald and... and uh, Norm Holly and Craig Euler and sometimes uh, Rush Howell will join us and they're all just brilliant and very playful performers. They just don't care about rules and neither nobody cares about rules. So do you think was there a point where you were um, learning or following the philosophies or whatever yes, at the yes, schools? Yes, 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 yes. And you've yes. just broken out of that at this point. I, you know, when you get when you're 51 years old, you just want to play. You don't want to play right. You just want to play. Yeah. So. You know, in my 20s and 30s, I wanted to have sex, right? You mm -hmm. know, like, it's my breast, you know, goofy. I'll take it from under my arm, you know, <laughs> all that kind of creepy shit. And uh, now I'm in my 50s, and I don't care if it's flubby, fuck it. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing in my 50s. And I invite people to do that maybe a little earlier. I'm not saying say fuck you to a building, because I don't think you should. Mm -hmm. Because if an audience, if you do not protect content so the audience is willing to laugh then it's not okay. That's why a very blue show during a family-friendly time slot right. feels dirty as opposed to liberating and fun and cute. Um, we once had an 11-year-old at Messing with a Friend and, and Colleen Murray and I were playing and I, and that we said, why is this 11-year-old there? And he said, they said, oh no, his parents feel like he's seen everything. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not, I'll teach him new vocabulary words. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. But they refused to budge the kid and the show, which would have normally been playful and, and fun, seemed ugly and disturbing and I would never do that again. So I really want to protect my audience, yet at the same time say what I want to say uh, and do what I want to do. So I'm aware of it. And I never say fuck you to a building. I really do honor in each institution uh, and, and the theories that they proclaim and try to turn theories into practice. But I've also protected myself with late night time slots mm -hmm. and that helps me still be able to do what I want. Uh, and we, you started to talk a bit about the annoyance. It's the one of the three that I know the least about. So I was wondering Mick, if you could... Mick, Mick, Mick uh, took 10 people who had done a show with a group called Metroform that we had done a show called Splatter Theater 2, which was half as successful as Splatter Theater 1, which was kind of a parody on slasher movies, which was so fucking funny. And it was so funny that it was one of those shows I saw twice and I never see anything twice. And it was a set show. And, you know, you have the virgin and the class dick and, you know, all these things. And yeah. we had done Splatter Theater 2, which was not good. And, um, and also the woman who ran the theater lost the theater because she had shoved half of the proceeds up her nose and mm. coke or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. So Mick told probably the 10 people from that show he could stomach. <laughs> and we created a show called Coet Prison Sluts. Yeah. And that ended up, uh, and it was a very fun musical. It was a beautiful musical. The longest-running musical in the history of Chicago for a while, and uh, we created a theater from that called The Annoyance. So Metroform turned into The Annoyance, and then a bunch of other people joined in. And um, it, what it was saying was that, you know, if I hit my head for four hours at I/O, I'm mentally disabled or crazy Jenny. If I hit my head for four hours at The Annoyance, I might just be Jenny. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if we take the I.O. precept of we treat each other like artists and heroes, then Jenny could be curing cancer. Yeah. So it was no less integrity-filled to explore whimsy 
or something that that somebody would say that's inappropriate or ugly for my theater that doesn't mean it's any less um, integrity filled it just didn't serve that space so Mick created a space where you could do whatever and say whatever you wanted to and it would be protected merely by coming into the building that's not my right as a comedian that's my luxury so I'm extremely grateful for the annoyance but I am just as in love with IO and just as in love with Second City I feel like all those places are home as well uh, the the feeling I get, and it sounds like you're talking about that that sort of mindset of what is protected there, what it I don't understand as well, and that's partially I mean, because I haven't taken classes at Annoyance, is uh, sort of how the, the curriculum encourages people to play that way, um, how the, the culture, like how do you actually teach improv in a way that sort of encourages that freedom and playfulness? Well, a lot of people are worried about improvising right. When you're dealing with long form and structure, you know, people are like, how do I bring that scene back? And da, 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 and everybody yeah. gets in their head. And Mick always said, we play. We play so hard, our tits fall off. We play. <laughs> it's not called a boring or a too long. It's called a play. Um, so <laughs> so at yeah. the Annoyance, we were creating shows through it via improv. But we were also improvising in a way that really put the onus on self. And we didn't give a shit about long form. We just cared about scene work because you can put anybody's scene work into anywhere. And what it was there to do was to make you a more powerful improviser on your own so that you could go into buildings and feel powerful. Um, does content have to be adjusted for each building? Sure. But while you have the freedom to do and say whatever you want, you better. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes that invites paralysis instead <laughs> of, I don't believe you. You know, because people will come to the annoyance after being in other schools of thought and be kind of... Um, feel kind of defeated sometimes. They've been told they were wrong a lot. And I, no matter what building I'm teaching in, because I teach in all three buildings, I say you're right. Now your job is to make more right. So if you make a choice, I'm going to rub your face into it until you love it. And that's just the way I work. Because I'm not interested in saying to somebody, you're improvising wrong. Yeah. We're saying we can find a way at the annoyance to make it work. So if you want to chew your foot for four hours, we'll find a way to protect that. I mean, I don't know if you want to, <laughs> but if you did, we would find a way to protect that. But we, I can also support you in grounded scene work as well. I mean, you can always adjust the dial for every building you're in to support that, but feel powerful and trust that you can manipulate yourself through space, but the only thing you own in the scene is yourself, so you're going to have to learn how to control that. And that doesn't always work with different schools of thought. Like, they don't content, they don't concentrate on self. They con like. Being selfish means taking care of self. I can't manipulate your spine, nor would I want to, so wouldn't you want to be in control of yourself and recognize that if the first three seconds of the scene is your promise to the audience of who you will be, that you're gonna hold on to your shit, and you're not gonna drop your shit. Now, I brought that precept into IO, and I brought it into Second City, and everywhere I've worked, because yeah. it just makes complete sense to me as an improviser. I mean, I don't, I don't walk anything that I, I, I always walk what I talk, because if I don't, I'm a hypocrite. So I'm just coming back from the trenches and saying, this helped me, maybe it'll help you too. And at the annoyance, I'm dealing with level five, so I'm dealing with a lot of nipping and tucking and saying you are playing very, um, how do I say this? You're playing lazily. Mm. Like, I want you to get off on you, your world, and your friend. I mm -hmm. want you to get off on all that stuff. But then again, I do that at I.O. in Second City too. I guess I do that everywhere. Or, it's just I feel like it, that content is completely protected at the annoyance. That's the that's the thesis of that building. Mm. And that's why I feel good in Detroit that I'm playing at 10 o'clock 
as opposed to seven o'clock. Not that I couldn't be fine with that as well. Yeah, you you mentioned that that idea that right. Uh, I control my spine, and no one can take that away from me. And that well, was... I, nobody else can manipulate your spine, but right. you. So oftentimes you think, I better do my friend's scene well because they initiated it. And I'm going, that's not their scene. They just started it. So it's people in a world, and let's see what the fuck happens instead of, you are my brother, and we're in Wisconsin, and this is our thesis, and I, why do you always do that thing that you always do? Which is an improviser saying to another improviser, I just want to tell you that thing you do, even though you've never demonstrated any characteristics of having done it before. Yeah. Are you listening? <laughs> I'm going, how autistic do you want to be? Yeah. Or do you want to discover your scene? And I guarantee you, it's a far more organic way to get off. That's just me. Uh, but it's a far more organic way. Because our audience isn't interested in your better left brain invention. They're interested in you justifying why the fuck you look like you do right now, where you are right now. And they want to know more and more and more and more and more. Yeah, and that was a really powerful idea for me the first time I heard it. Um, and I'm glad you explained it here. I'm also interested in, like, you know, some of these major things that I've learned from you. Um, yeah, uh, there's more, uh, but like, uh, how did those come to be in your uh, in your work? Like, is I would say that's a Mick thing. Yeah, I would say that's a Mick thing. And like, every, it was something he taught he, to you, or it was something that I just got. The, I got the tacit him. approval from him that if you're on stage, you belong there. And I don't even know if he ever said that. I just thought I I got that from him, hmm. and. If you're there and you belong there, you might as well be flying instead of like struggling. Yeah. So I think once I gave myself that self permission, and that also came from my team Blue Velveeta at IO. I'd been on a million different teams, and then I was placed on this team called the D Team. They didn't even have a name yet. <laughs> and they just looked at me and they said, um, "Okay, let's play." And I'm thinking you're not going to tell me I'm wrong or how to play right, and they're like, "You're here, let's play." That was their tacit approval of me and I just started playing and immediately within a day I got better. Within a day I was a whole new improviser. Well. And our coach was this horrible little man named Mick. So <laughs> that didn't hurt either. Uh, another one for me that uh, so this is probably one of the most sort of profound impacts any one has had on my career and it was the first workshop I took with you in Philly uh, and you were <laughs> it's what brought us over here just today Aww. when you said uh, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Yeah, that one hurts, doesn't it? That's a hard precept. It is. It is a hard precept. You really do want to blame Humpy Boy and Creepy Girl. I just did a Protecting <laughs> the Freak workshop right That's now. That's right. It's your workshop here. And and I'm actually playing with Kevin from Blue Velveeta tonight. Oh, Kevin yeah. Dorf. So Yeah, I was just chatting. I hadn't yep. met him before. If you, if, let me tell you something. You know, if you're nice to your friends, are they going to be your friends for life? That's, I would, I, that is... Yours so, is one of the shows I most wanted to see, and we're playing at the same time. I hate you. I'm, I hate that I fact. Hate, <laughs> I hate you, hate yourself. Um, anyway, but no, but it was a discovery, because I was on the right fighter police, and I was like, he improvises like the, like the guys are playing, and I'm playing by the rules, and I'm like, well, and then I, I had that horrible, profound realization by myself, well, who's getting off? Yeah. Those guys are. And I'm going, oh, so if I don't have fun, that's my fault and it's such it's such a die now precept that I think it works really well for everybody when they have to sit alone in the house and go what is my responsibility toward my joy oh everything like you didn't improvise start to improvise to go to hell in a handbasket you started to have a really good time and then you learned all these rules and you wanted to do it right and and then they weren't doing it right and then you would wanted to shoot yourself in the face and like this is playtime like 
relax your crack, enjoy the ride. Like, and when I started doing that, my work again became immediately better. I was my own greatest nightmare. Nobody else, nobody else fucked me over. Nobody else can fuck me over. I can still get off with a spatula and a tuning fork for four fucking hours. <laughs> oh, I don't usually get real props, so that would be exciting, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's... Makes sense, right? Totally. Yeah, it's 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 one of those die-now ones where you're like, oh man, I'm so mad that that makes so much sense to me. Because you really do want to blame other people when you're not having fun. You really do. You just do. And I'm, yeah, I guess I'm also interested... So one thing that it all empowered me for as well is to be much more reflective of my own work and say what what is fun for me and like how how do I create that more often yes. and I guess that's Pursuing part of why I want joy. to to dig into like how do these epiphanies come to you because I think you're a person slowly who more... and stupid which is why <laughs> I, which is why I teach to, first of all because when I walk my talk I rock and when I don't I suck yeah. so if I walk my talk and I say this in class, then I will do it. Mm. So I teach for very selfish reasons. The other thing is, is because I'm in the trenches, I would like to save people time. Yeah. Like they could be getting off instead of like worried about it or why is this not working? I mean, they need to relax and enjoy the ride. That's what improv was not created to make you upset. You know what I mean? It was created to create immediate art right away cooperatively. And so if you are an easier person to work with, yeah. you will create art much easier. Otherwise, you're forced to go off and go on your own. Good luck with that. In our world, if you're an asshole, we invite you to become just an actor. No offense to actors. <laughs> I love actors. But you know what I mean? Yeah. They get yeah. away with shit. Mm-hmm. They, you know, people be like, he's such they're an asshole, but he's cast. such a good actor. Right. Well, you know what, though? I work with actors at the school of Steppenwolf, and I told them, as a director, I need to work with where you shine right now. I'm not interested in your mishigas. Mm. So I would rather take someone less talented and twice, twice as cooperative and play with you. So if you're a problem, you're going to have to learn how to not be the problem. Because everybody's going to scapegoat someone on the team. And you know what's going to happen? That person will ultimately leave because you drove them out. And you know what's going to happen? You're still going to be there. And you are the, you are the common denominator. Yeah. And then you'll find out that you'll have to blame someone else. You'll have to keep doing it because that dramedy pleases you and then you'll discover that you know you're bipolar or something really stupid and that will really bore the shit out of everyone go fix yourself and then come back and play nice with the other kids that's the way i figure it is it's uh it feels are good things to hear um it's but it's also crappy things to hear because yeah you don't want to hear right. it you, it's hard to hear it is hard to hear it's hard to it was hard for me to have that epiphany even weirder to have somebody like have it on a poster like, I've seen <laughs> that in, I've seen that in I've seen that in cities I'm like why am I on a poster that's really weird and how come I'm not getting any residuals oh, oh well you take a photo of it oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did take a photo in St. Louis and yeah. then oh and then in at the institution theater they in in uh, Austin yeah, Tommy Booker was there oh and Tom yeah, Booker Tom, Tommy Booker showed it to me and I was like oh and I don't like the graphics sorry guy who created <laughs> that but until I get you know some sort of financial recompense from that go fuck yourself and I can say I like what I said and I'm not so thrilled with the art (laughs) (laughs) Um, the last one I'll make you listen to me quote you uh, oh no which I also am not paying you residuals sorry go for it of my no that shit's to be stolen all that shit's to be stolen I just say it in in a way that people eat it yeah. You know what I mean? It's true. I'm sure somebody says it in a far more intelligent way. Let me hear it. What did I do? Uh, well, what did I do wrong to you? Well, no, How did I hurt you, the Brian? Idea, this is a different workshop, but just the, this idea that um, 
that improv is an opportunity that we don't get. Like, I'm not likely to be cast as um, a sexy woman or as an you know an old grandma or That's as right. all these uh, or or as like a gross creepy man. But improv allows me the opportunity to play these these ugly or different characters that I was shying away from or would um, back down on because I am uncomfortable playing them. Well, I That one's not as quotable, but I... I, I don't remember saying it like that, but bless you, your heart. You didn't. I'm saying it poorly. It. Oh, no, no. You're, you're, it's a good... It's a good uh, but it, it opened, again, opened up a whole lot of exploration for me. Here's the simple version. Thank you. I get to play anybody <laughs> I've ever wanted to be and anybody I've never wanted to be. When I'm in L.A., I'm the funny, bitchy best friend of the leading lady or your slightly mentally disabled older sister. I used to be your slightly mentally disabled younger sister, and then I got older. But um, in Chicago... On stage, I'm a six foot five inch supermodel. Yeah. Off stage, I'm delusional. So, if I get to be anybody I've ever wanted to be and anybody I've never wanted to be, and scenes are about people, and for me this is a sociological study of the human condition, then that's where I'm going. Hard. I'm yeah. going hard. I can't wait to see what comes out of my mouth, out of my <laughs> body, and I can't wait to see what happens with my friend as a source of absolute inspiration all the time. All the time. Was that also something like? I also wonder, like, when, when, and where that came for you, because that was so hard for me to. I don't like, know. That was not I just knew that when I figured it out, I shared it. Just yeah. because, like I said, my epiphanies are slow and stupid, mm -hmm. so I share them fast and frequently, because I know that when I really came to those places, I went, "Oh my God, this is my life. My life is so much easier. My ride is so much easier. I'm responsible for this. Oh my God, what do I want? What do I want to do?" I, after having a baby. You know, I was doing 11 different shows a week all over the city, and then I was doing 11 different shows a week at The Annoyance, and then I was doing eight shows a week at Second City, and I thought I was cheating if I was in one building. And then I had a baby, and I thought, I'm only going to be at most, at that time, be able to do one show a week. Now I can do three, but I was only doing one show a week, and so I thought, if I'm going to play, what do I want to do? I don't want to do a Herald or a movie or a deconstruction or any, give, I don't give a shit about your form, but I do give a shit about playing with people I don't get a chance to play with. So I went, oh, so I just want to play. Yeah. Got it. So you bring it down to the bare minimum. Now, I can do anybody's shit. I can do short form, I can do long form, I can do your whatever your house is, mm -hmm. I can put myself in your house. And even people who are very cerebrally driven and lead with a bunch of plot, I can always stick a person in your tiresome left brain invention. So I'm cool. <laughs> I'm always cool. But um, I just want to play and I want to discover it. And that's what messing with a friend is for me. So... So I guess when you're older, when you're younger, I don't think you have the luxury to decide, well, this is what I want. Yeah. Because then I think you close yourself off from discovering what it is that you are great at and what it is that you can do. We're improvisers. We're malleable. We can do anything. So if we can do anything, let's do everything. And then ultimately you decide what kind of performer you want to be doing, what kind of work you want to do. What people get frustrated at is a teacher will give them an, a very absolute note one day. And then the next day, somebody will give you the equal and opposite note. You will want to shit yourself. And you're like, seriously? <laughs> and then I say, do what that bitch asks you to do today. And then do what that asshole asks for you to do tomorrow. And then ultimately, you'll do what you want. But you need to be directable as well. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say, fuck you, everybody, I can't take a note, then you might not be able to play with other people. You might have to play by yourself. Because maybe you are fucking with the integrity of what your form is. Or maybe you're steamrolling your friends. Or maybe you're not listening. You know, these are... These are basic things of uh, uh, building blocks of a scene. And if you're not doing that and you have a better left brain idea and you get all frustrated as yourself, 
where you say shit like, my character wouldn't do that. And I'm like, yo, based on what your character did, your character would most certainly do that. <laughs> or this is out of my comfort zone. Yeah, in life, don't do that. On yeah. stage, do it. Because it's protected. You are protected by comedy. People just don't want to look stupid. That's the ultimate thing. I don't want to look stupid, they say. And I'm like, but you're doing comedy. It's protected. <laughs> like, so uh, I can look like I'm full of integrity and I can look like the biggest fucking car wreck. Bring it all. Bring it all. And I'm saying this, of course, again, so that I will do this tonight. <laughs> uh, have you have you found... This is a gear shift, but the, more or less the last thing I was wanting to ask about. Uh, there's just, nothing else to ask. There's so much to ask. Uh, have you found... Well, and we'll see how, what time we're at. Have you found that... I was thinking about annoyance um, from some stories I've heard or heard people talk about, but maybe just Chicago in general. Like, have you found that the culture, the comedy culture there is, is changing in huge. the years you've been there? And, huge. And, and what... Huge. How does that contribute I, to huge. Kind of work on stage? Huge. I just got asked a question the other day about how do I brand myself? <laughs> and I thought, you know what? When I started, I just didn't want to get kicked off stage. And that the ramifications of good work was people wanted to work with you and you got more work. Yeah. <clears throat> now I totally am not disparaging what this person said because I get it. They're like, oh shit, I gotta get more Twatter followers and I've gotta <laughs> like, you know, brand myself. What is my gig? Because managers and agents will say, how do you wanna align yourself or brand yourself? Yeah. And I kind of think to myself, um, I mean, they said to me, well, it's easy for you. Yours is in massing. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Uh, that disturbs me. <laughs> but I did say, but I did say um, the result of good work is people will want to keep working with you, and you will discover what your voice is and what you want to say. But remember, you're an artist. And when you're thinking about that, you're really thinking about, what can I do to be famous? And I'm going, hey, you know, you can get famous for killing a busload of kids tomorrow. Yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what do right. you want? And here's the thing. Now... In Chicago, people have an agenda. I, it's it's very much what will you do for what can you give to me, teacher, so that I can go and do my web series, so that I can get a Nickelodeon show or whatever the hell they want with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what their agenda is. I don't give a shit. My job is to make you as powerful as possible, so you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. So I really don't care about that. If they want to get branded, go to a branding expert. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge seismic shift in that. Um, and in L.A., it always has been my manager wants me to learn improv because I have to have improv on my, on my resume. And that's okay, too, because, you know, when people say I have an agenda, I go, good for you. Um, I never did, and I still don't. I, what I find that I do for myself is I find that I take on uh, jobs and challenges that are really outside my comfort zone. Like, I didn't want to give a TED Talk but they asked me to, and I'm like, they're asking me for a reason. I think I'm going to discover why I had to do it. Yeah. So I did it because they told me, and because they told me, I thought, well, I'm not a typical TED Talk person, so I'm not even going to look at TED Talks. I'm going to do what I do, and people told me afterwards, oh, that looked like a TED Talk. And I went, <laughs> oh, really? Like, do you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. it's because it had TED on the background. I don't know. And then, and I did another one, as a matter of fact, um, and I was like, why would I even do another one? This first one was so painful. But I did it, and they and the tech got completely fucked up, and it looks, this TED Talk looks like I'm in a motel room behind, <laughs> like, some blinds. Wow. Like, and they're trying to re-edit re it. 
And actually, I don't care if it even sees the day of light. I mean, I, I don't care yeah. because I've done it. But at the same time, I thought, wow, I must hate this so much that I have to do it again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Because I, I just feel like, and I don't say, that's not even like a humble brag. It's just, it's kind of weird. It's like, haven't I talked enough? I've talked enough. <laughs> I say so little and I talk so much. Oh. And I feel oftentimes like I'm shitting in the breeze. But I do know that, that people's job isn't to listen to me. They've, they've paid their Robitussin money and they're hoping for the best. I will say, if they apply this shit, it works. It works. Well, we have five minutes, and I can let you go early, because Susan is uh, delightfully generous with her time, podcast listeners. uh, She doesn't have much here. But I will ask you this then, uh, just to get back down into the weeds of the work a little bit. So, like, when you uh, are in, in your zone and get to play and you're messing with a friend or, or whichever uh, and you get a suggestion you go out to do a scene like what is what are what are the the very things like, what's the your very thought beginning? process that you go through or or no thought pro- like what happens I try to change my spine a little bit and I see what happens with mm-hmm. me there's so many points of inspiration either if I'm doing something even the way I'm doing it means something and I just don't know why yet so I will either justify that or my friend will um in the first scene in Messing with a Friend, I'm usually sharing uh, your energy so because it's a choice I wouldn't have made, so it forces me not to go to that place I always go or that thing I always do. I, For me in improv, if I feel like I'm retreading same ground, which happens to improvisers a lot, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm here again? <laughs> that feels like cheating, and it is, yeah. because you're only limited by your lack of imagination and fear of appearing stupid and we've already discussed the worst thing that happens if you look stupid is people laugh at you and we're doing comedy so fuck you (laughs) but um that's another precept but it doesn't fit on a sampler as well um but I feel like is precept even the word Uh, I've always said that well, I'm sure I, I, will be, along. I will be challenged. Now on I'm going to have to look it up. I know, right? And you're going <laughs> to say you were right or you've been saying it wrong all these years. Anyway, but but what I'm saying, concept. We'll sure. change it right now for concept. <laughs> but I'm in a world with my friend and we get to see what happens. Yeah. That's all that matters to me. I don't have an idea for a scene, ever. I don't have an idea of what I'm going to do or how I'm going to change my... I have no ideas. You know why? Because it's improv. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. So I'm really excited about the way somebody's eyes are looking at me wide or how my eyes might be wide or and why and and we will justify the fuck out of everything and use reuse recycle and repurpose everything that's been said and done in order to build a scene and then we get to delight in it and i love the ride so i don't really look product and improv means your scene is over and if you really are such a control freak go home and write some sketch i'll do your scene otherwise you can't control me and i don't want to control you but i can't wait to play with you so that's my excitement. Right before the show, however, I will be curled up in a fetal position thinking, oh my God, I'm the asshole and it's my rule and it's my show. I'm such a fucking asshole. Thanks for being my friend. I'm going to kill myself. And then my desire to create will supersede the weirdness I have to go through to create and I get off again. I still get nervous. It's still really important to me. And the day that it stops being important to me is the day that I should stop doing it because I have to honor my audiences too. They, they assume that I am joyful. I will never just go through the paces it's never just another show just another rehearsal just another class it can't be yeah. I have to like I give 150% well I think you paint a beautiful picture and I hope that yeah the theory is the theory more... is great right the theory is <laughs> awesome the reality is good luck with that <laughs> well there you have it folks my conversation with the 
incredibly generous Susan Messing, who took 30 minutes that she had between a workshop and her show to record this interview. Our podcast was recorded on a busy street across from Go Comedy at the Detroit Improv Festival. If you've not been out to Diff, I could not recommend it more highly. Diff brings out amazing headliners, provides this beer tent for performers to socialize all weekend, and really treats performers well. Special thanks to the talented Michelle Horsley for our opening theme, and of course, Susan Messing. For this and past episodes, surf to brianmgray.com slash podcast. And if you like the show, rate it on iTunes, and check out my blog at brianmgray.com. Thanks, guys. <laughs>